Welcome to the first ever podcast. I'm your host, Jeremy Bohm. This week, I'm talking to Chris Farron, who is a solo artist who also has been in bands like Fake Problems, and he has a uh, a band that he does with Jeff Rosenstock called Antarctica Vespucci. Um, but here's the deal. I hit him up to come on the show just because he's an old friend and I love Chris and it, I knew it'd be a, a blast to talk to him on here. But he recently has been posting these paintings he's been doing, which are morbid and dark and uh, and involve classic cartoon characters and um, or just animals smoking cigarettes. I, I don't know. They've been really interesting. And I hit him up and I said, yo, you should come on the show. We'll talk about all the obvious things, but also we should talk about your uh, the art you've been making. And guess what I did? Totally spaced. Didn't bring up the art once. I, I We finished the conversation. I texted him moments later and I said, I'm an idiot. I totally forgot to even get into the paintings. So um, he, this is me talking about it. They're awesome. And uh, you should totally check them out if you, uh, if you follow Chris Farron on uh, Instagram. Um, they're there. If you don't, you should go check those out. And uh, I know he's selling them too. So support artists during this time when we can't do anything other than record music and hope that people hear it. You know, we all have these little side hustles we have to do or different forms of uh, expressing ourselves, whether they're, I don't know, poetry, writing, or doing a podcast. Um, yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Uh, so that's that's my spiel. Check out Chris Farron's art. Thank you for being here. He's a fucking awesome guy. He's a he's a, a very funny person. Uh, he makes great music. He has for years. Enjoy this conversation like I did. This is my conversation with Chris Farron. This is the first ever podcast. Enjoy. Chris Farron, my friend. Thank you Jeremy, for coming on the show. My friend. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Absolutely. This is, um, I, I had to do this talk with Jordan from Audis Butte where uh, he was another one of the people that I had over to my apartment a couple of years ago to do a podcast that never came out. So this is me formally apologizing. Um, oh, that's okay. And saying thank you. <laughs> saying thank you for coming back. Hey, my pleasure. Yeah, no, I, I, when I think about that conversation, I don't really remember what we talked about that much, but there was a, a certain amount of time had passed where I started thinking, I hope that never comes out <laughs> Oh no! <laughs> because i was just like my I, I, I no matter what i said i'm sure i've changed you know a lot since then or whatever and this was like when, after it had only been like six months so <laughs> oh right yeah no i understand i i get that too yeah don't worry i don't i doubt those are ever going to see the light of day um just Great. you know my problem you've done podcasts and i know you're you're no stranger to it but have you ever been in that situation that i was in where you do something and then you realize something is as stupid as, oh my God, I got to edit this. This, this, this feels like an uphill battle. And then you just kind of put it to the side. I don't know if you've ever oh, dealt yeah. with something like that. Yes. Yeah, okay. uh, all sorts of, you know, various degrees of that. Like I, I've been over quarantine. I've been trying to cover, I have like a list of songs that my record label sent me that are kind of like uh, easily syncable songs like to cover that like are always like kind of cleared for stuff for like commercials and stuff oh, okay and i was and and i was just like i'm just gonna cover all these songs and this, there's so many songs on it i've done two so far <laughs> um, <laughs> and uh yeah it's just just one of those things where like you know you have the idea and then you start you know doing it and you're like this is a lot of work and uh i don't 
uh, care enough to be doing this. <laughs> right. Yeah. It, it's, you know, it's, I, I, I realize with many things, like I can't be trusted to, to do something myself, which is a bad thing to have some, you know, with, with certain projects where I started, you know, I was like, I've never had to edit a podcast before. So I sat down and I opened it up and I put it in GarageBand. I was like, I'm gonna, just going to teach myself. And then I found myself just Frankensteining it so much to where like any awkward space that felt a little too long or any like, um, right. uh, uh, I was trying to take out. And then by the time when I re-listened to it, I was like, this sounds so robotic and unnatural. Right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> And I believe I'd yeah. already saved everything and ruined the files. So I was like, this is like. Classic, uh, classic. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, cool. I'm glad you don't remember much of that conversation because I'm sure there would be some um, some repeating questions at least or just, you know, uh, stories of, or, uh, you know, history of your life that um, wouldn't feel annoying to talk about again. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. Here we go. Uh, so, yeah, you're from Naples, right? Originally? That's right. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah. Got it. Yeah. I was born in Michigan, but yeah, I'm. Uh, I I grew up. I spent most of my formative years in Naples, Florida. Actually, I don't think I realized you were born in Michigan. What's What's uh, Were you there just as a as a very little baby? And I went to yeah, Florida. I was there f- f- like one, uh, zero to seven. Oh, that's and a then, significant yeah, amount of time. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Livonia, Michigan, and then we moved to Florida. Yeah. What made the move? What was uh? What was it? Um, my okay, so my grandfather owned in Michigan. My grandfather owned like a like a cashier company, like a called Tech Point. Um, that was like a nice, successful company. And then he sold the company. This is making me sound like I'm rich, by the way. I'm realizing, <laughs> but I am not rich. Uh, <laughs> he sold the company to IBM, which is like a big uh, yeah. computer company uh and he retired and he moved to florida to he like retired to florida with my my grandparents retired to florida and my mom worked for tech point so once once you know that job didn't exist anymore she was like well i'll move to florida too sure we we just like lived with my grandparents okay uh, until i was i mean I, i lived with them until i was 18 until i moved out is naples like a a pretty retirement city like is it kind of one of the ones that are known big time yeah 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 okay okay so was that a kind of a strange place to grow up um i i guess so uh it's hard to you know i didn't really have anything uh, definitely at the time i didn't have anything to compare it to Um, sure so there was not like you know there were other there was definitely schools and kids and stuff but there wasn't like a huge emphasis on like youth culture or anything like that. Um, you know, touring bands, you know, I mean, I'm jumping ahead, but touring bands didn't really come down that often. And when they did, it was like a very, you know, big special thing. Got it. Got it. Well, well, so then what was your first experiences connecting with music? Like what was the first thing that you remember you attached yourself to and that doesn't mean punk just anything kind of in general um well music in general uh 
The first music I ever really remember like loving, loving was like corn and like new metal stuff when I became like a an angry, angsty teenager. Yeah. Uh, and then I don't know that if I kind that of about you. And then yeah, so I was kind of like a goth is not quite the right word, but goth ish, basically goth. Yeah, I feel like so. Here, follow me down this this thought that I've never had out loud before. I feel like in the late '90s, the word goth attached was attached to like you know new metal for like high school kids, right? Right. And then the same way that I feel emo is attached to you know scene whatever scene kids are you know where it's for, like for it, sure it's the same thing it's like a an actual gothic person who would not want to defend the word gothic um would roll their eyes at a new metal kid the same way an emo kid will roll their eyes at um the the term you know the, the term being misused uh, absolutely yeah yeah so i was i was weird weirdo kid goth adjacent uh guy remember like really really Connect, you know connecting with or, or that i felt was was speaking to me on like a to my soul you know <laughs> right and what did uh was that just like because of mtv did mtv introduce you to them i, I them it, it must have because it was it was when corn kind of broke through and was on trl i think that must have been how i heard of them there was no like i mean there was rock radio but i don't really remember like listening to that much of it but i do remember like really watching a lot of trl right uh, sure so that would have been the got the life freak on a leash era 98 that's right and then yeah. and then yeah. from there i think i you know i backtracked and like found their older records and you know for at least for at least like a year and a half I was like, Corn is my favorite band ever, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I had that same thing with when I, when I discovered them in, um, for that first record, I was, I mean, like up until, um, probably I feel like I kind of fell off around issues, but yeah, I issues, issues was, was like, the first time I ever anticipated a record coming out, like I, I was <laughs> like, I'm so excited for this record. And I remember like getting it and liking it, but like I recently listened to that record. And I was like, I don't remember this. I don't I have, I have no feelings uh, or, or about this at all. Got it. And then, so uh, when was there like music in the house at all growing up? Like, uh, was there any musicians in the family? No musicians in the family. No musicians in the family. My, I remember my mom had a record player, and the the records she had that are still records that I love as an Al Green record, which I forget exactly what record it was, um, mm -hmm. but it was like the one that has at least three of the biggest hits on it. Um, it might even just be the greatest hits, which is like I think his highest selling record. It has like the burgundy yeah. cover with him on the, on it. It's like a pretty notorious best yeah. of, but yeah. Yeah. Uh and then I think uh Ziggy Stardust mm -hmm. and uh Queen Night Night at the Opera. Is that what that record's called? I think and so, yeah. and Phantom of the Opera. Wow. Yeah. Okay. And, and Jesus Christ Superstar, which is very good. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever actually Jesus Christ uh, Superstar fucking rocks. It's so really? sick. Yeah. Okay. It's a really uh, to me it is a very good movie too. 
Oh, I've never seen the movie actually. It have you seen the play or anything? Do you do you know? I haven't. About no, it? I I think I think my that's probably religious as a young person brain didn't didn't watch it. But yeah, I'm curious. It, it is. It's yeah. I, I don't really for whatever reason. I know I've never really associated it with like. It's insane to say this, but it, I've never really associated it with Christianity. I mean, it's a, it's a one thousand percent about Christianity. But yeah, it's right. Like, no, it doesn't feel like you're like you know at church. Like it's like a church thing to watch because right. it. it's like the movie's like kind of dark and fucked up, and like a lot of it is like it's such an interesting thing. I, I think to tell the story of Jesus through. Judas's eyes and that's what it is you know oh so that's interesting interesting to me yeah you know what i think i related it to as a young person that that probably became the same thing in my head is first of all were you raised with any sort of religion in the house i was i was raised very very catholic yeah okay because there was like a i forget if it was a cartoon or whatever it was but do you remember a thing called joseph in the technicolor dream coat yeah, that's an, that another so- another. Uh, I think that's another Andrew Lloyd Webber joint. Oh, you're totally right. It is. I just searched it right now. Okay, so I think those like I I remember that in some capacity, and I think that I was so disinterested in in like I I went to a Christian uh, elementary school, like a, a Lutheran one, and had that in my life during my upbringing. So like. I think I I think all things in that world I was just never really that interested in but yeah yeah um but I think that's why I probably haven't ever listened to or, or seen uh Jesus Christ Superstar but I'm I'm interested now I, I you know I never thought I would be into plays or Broadway or or, or anything like that um uh, or sorry I guess not b- plays or Broadway but like musicals I guess right and um and I went and I saw Wicked a bunch of years ago, and I, and I and I wept. I had the best Hell time. Hell yeah! So, so I, I'm not, I'm very down now. Um, so you recommend it? That. Oh, for sure. I mean, I would, I definitely recommend the movie. I think the movie is really cool. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Um. So, it was guitar your first instrument? I'm assuming. Yes, it was. When did uh, you start playing guitar? I must have been like 12, between 12 and 14. I really don't, I don't really, it's, it's around there. I think I was kind of out of the corn phase by this time. And I don't really remember what I was listening to that kind of made me want to get a guitar. It might've been the next thing I remember liking is Blink-182. So it's, it's possible that like, yeah, that was something clicked in me. I think, you know, listening to Blink-182, you're like, this seems like I could do this. Like corn <laughs> for some reason when I listened to it, I was like, what is this? Do they make this in a castle? Or, you know, like it's like <laughs> it doesn't seem like something you could do, but then Blink 182, I, I guess that's the point of punk in general. It just feels like you could do it. Right. I mean, yeah, cor- I mean, l- you listen to corn, you're like, okay, all I know is these guys are playing like seven string guitars and they have hella pedals. I don't like are, is this expensive? How do you do this right. stuff? Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Blink-182 is like, you can get a Squire Strat and uh, a simple guitar pedal, a distortion pedal and probably figure it out. Yeah, yeah. So so I I got like a a kind of a shitty like classical acoustic guitar and was just kind of like, I went to maybe like a month of lessons and I learned like 
a Green Day song and another Green Day song that was the same exact chords as that Green Day song, but slower. Uh, <laughs> smells like Teen Spirit. Uh, and that's it. <laughs> was, was that is that Brain Stew and When I Come Around? Uh, not it, it's it's Brain Stew and something, but Hitchin' a Ride. Oh, it's okay. Brain yeah. Stew and Hitchin' a Ride are the same chords, except Hitchin' a Ride's like da 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 da, uh, and then Brain Stew is da 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 da. Yeah, yeah. So when did you start your first band? It wasn't Fake Problems, was it? No, no, no. Yeah, uh, my first band uh, was the first band I was ever in was called Branded Butterflies, and it, I didn't pl- I, I didn't play guitar in a band until Fake Problems. So I was in like a few different bands like throughout high school, but I never oh, wow. really felt like a good I, even though i i kind of barely knew how to play guitar i never really felt like a guitar guy until i was like 16 so there was a good like there was definitely a good like three years of being in bands where i was just a singer that's wild i didn't i didn't realize that and these were all in naples yeah yeah they, these were all like high school type bands yeah so were you doing like blink covers or writing your own songs what was it didn't, yeah, it was all it was all like original songs. Uh, I was uh, branded butterflies only had one song, and then we broke up. I think after like one one practice where we recorded the song, uh, and then I was in a in a band called Excessive Behavior, and that oh, was wow. like the first like you know band I felt like I was I was actually in because we would we would like play shows around town and. Uh, we like put out a demo or whatever, like burned CDs. Yeah. Do you remember what the first show you ever played was? Yeah, it was, it was like a house show, you know, just at somebody's house. And I remember after we played, I was coughing up blood because I was just oh my like, God. you know, not singing in a, in an appropriate way. And I was probably like, you know, I don't I don't really recall if we were like screaming really but I was probably just like I had no idea how to use my voice basically. That's so a, I was that's just wild. fucking it up, yeah. Did that create any sort of anxiety with doing it further? No. I I don't think I ever experienced anxiety until I was like 22. <laughs> <laughs> and then like i feel like at, at a certain point like i went from having no anxiety about anything at all and then only anxiety about everything in the world <laughs> just say welcome chris welcome it's, I know. it's it's such a cool thing isn't it isn't it so comforting and you've mentioned that that band recorded was that like uh did you go into a recording studio or no, was no, that... no 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 okay no. we i think we put a like a mic in the middle of the room and recorded some i don't re- i really barely remember but I, I i don't i remember we put a mic in the middle of the room and recorded the band and then somehow i dubbed my vocal over that okay is and that, that, was is, that re- is that recording anywhere in your possession do you still have that for like you know uh, i don't think so like? i i, I I wish I did, but I do not think I, I don't think I have it. It might be in like a computer, like a, you know, like an old mm-hmm. ancient looking laptop, like 
tucked away somewhere, but I, I have no idea. I go back with you and, and everyone in Fake Problems. Um, were, was anyone in that band in your life around the time of um, excessive behavior? Like, are they, because they're all from Naples, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so I think I knew everybody. Like, I was, so I, the drummer of Fake Problems, Sean, he and I had known each other the longest. He, he like we went to like a youth group retreat together, kind of thing. Like we we went to the same uh, church when we were little kids, mm -hmm. um, and then he was in a band that you know excessive behavior played a lot of shows with, and then also Derek Perry, the bass player for Fake Problems. He also was around a lot. He was in another band. And then, uh, yeah, and then Casey Lee as well was in uh, a hardcore band uh, around that same time as well. So we all we all kind of played shows together. And then once Excessive Behavior broke up, I started Fake Problems, and that was the first band I ever played guitar in. But it was like a, a, a way different version of Fake Problems that that we kind of like don't talk about anymore. It was kind of like the the... 16 to 18 year old Chris Farron version of fake problems that Derek Perry was in, but everybody else was, was just different people. Um, oh, it's like a totally different lineup. Yeah. yeah. It was, it was oh, okay. actually, it was actually two people from excessive behavior and oh, then wow. Derek and I, and uh, Nicole who is now Derek's wife. Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh. Uh, but then that band, that version of fake problems kind of broke up because you know, everybody turned 18 and uh, everybody except for Derek and I went like away to college. Oh, okay. Um, and so we, Derek and I were kind of like, let's make a real band and let's do be a band that tours and stuff and let's find people who want to do that. And so we, we roped in Sean and we, I think Casey lived in, LA and he moved back to to Florida just to like start fake problems like the real fake problems yeah it's you know when I think back on that I I do remember when Casey would move back and forth and and I it was always kind of hard to keep track of where he was or what he was doing um which I think continued <laughs> forever <Yeah. laughs> um, but uh yeah for the you know for for the audience uh listening um I first met Chris and and everybody because I worked at a record shop in Burbank that Casey Lee the guitar player of Fake Problems um would come in to the store all the time and became a really good pal um so uh, he would he would constantly be moving back and forth between LA and, and Florida. And I remember him coming back or whatever it was and just let me know like, yo, I started a band uh, that like, you know, and I and I think he gave me or sent me um, whatever that first demo was. And I remember just being so, so stoked and so happy. And I feel like I met all of you maybe that it I can't remember, but I remember the first time he played LA was at that bar um, off of the 101 near the 101 Cafe. I remember that. Yeah. But I wonder if that was the first time I met all of you. It had to have been, right? I think so. Because you guys yeah. hadn't been out here as a band for any reason before that, right? 
No, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that was that would have been the first time. Man, that's why. And was that, I'm assuming, was that the first? That one, well, that was definitely obviously the first time Fake Problems had been on the West Coast. But was that tour? Like, I, I'm trying to remember. Was Were you guys on tour? It wasn't our first tour, but it, okay. it was, yeah, we were definitely on tour. Like, yeah. I, I sh- before I go into this, I should say that like I think that you are the you are the reason that like I ever or you know I probably would have heard of them eventually, but uh, like I uh, like because you because Casey was like going into this record store and talking to you about music and then coming back to Florida like back and forth all the time like uh you i i feel like you are the reason like i even uh, like got into like the the against me and like the bright eyes and the, the you know veered towards like the indie punk of it all you know uh, uh and that kind of started to inform like you know my musical taste and my musical whatever aesthetic whatever you want to call it so thank uh, you for that jeremy oh of course i mean yeah it's uh i remember i remember casey telling you know i would always burn a bunch of cds for casey and and uh and and then I I think he would pass them around or something like that. He told me once. Um, but uh, I also I mean I have such fond memories of even just you know driving around with him or or you guys and listening to music and probably almost definitely almost killing us once or twice. I, I remember <laughs> specifically one time we almost got hit by a fire truck. Do you remember that? I I don't I think we were listening to you were you were you were playing the rocket summer for us and telling us that it's actually very good. That's what it was. That's what we almost died to. Yeah. That's, the rocket summer. And I do wow. remember thinking this is kind of good. Very. Yeah, that know, one, catchy. that one record had some songs on it. I haven't thought yeah. about that in a long time, but wow. Wow. Yeah. Pretty funny. That's so funny. Good God. So I'm curious though. So you, when fake problems did that first, cause it was the first, uh, seven inch was with, was on, I, you know, I've never, tell me, is it Sabot or Sabot? I don't know. I think we always said Sabot. I think that's what it is. Yeah. I've never, as a record store guy that always, you know, owned a lot of that stuff or ordered it for the store. I never knew if I was saying it correctly ever. Yeah. Um, but that first seven inch I know came out on that. And, and so did the first LP. Yeah. Uh, but was that your first recording experience in a, in a recording studio? Yeah, yeah, for sure. The 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 seven inch was um, right. Uh, or wait, yeah, the Spurs yeah. and spoke the Spurs and Spokes uh, release, right? Yeah, yeah. So we went up to Gainesville to record that, um, and we were just gonna. So yeah, we went up to Gainesville, recorded that, and then I think we like added we like added extra stuff after the fact at home somehow. Um, but it it was kind of like a, it was, in retrospect, it was like barely a studio. It was just some guy who had kind like kind of knew what he was doing and had like kind of a big room. <laughs> mm-hmm. But with how far our bodies go, that was a that was a real that was a real studio. Um, and who? Yeah, I was trying to look it up. Who did you do that record with? Rob Rob McGregor in from Gainesville. He he had done a lot of against me stuff or. And some, you know, a lot of the the kind of like the no idea type stuff. Yeah. Um, thing to me that was that like looking back that is so crazy is that the reason like all of that stuff happens. So we were uh, 
you know, pretty obsessed with against me. And if you listen to fake problems, you could probably guess that, um, but, uh, especially our first, you know, whatever. Yeah. That first record for sure. No doubt. Yeah. Um, but we went to, you know, see against me in Tallahassee just as fans. And we brought our demo and gave it to Laura and told her we were from Naples. And then she was like, so nice to us. And then we tried to figure out a way to get them to play in Naples, Florida, which is something they had, they had not ever done. But even though that Laura and James were from Naples, it was kind of like they were, it felt kind of like the vibe was like, we don't, what's the point of playing in Naples? Right. And, you know, I didn't fair realize they're both from there. Interesting. Yeah. Uh, but somehow we've figured out a way. I mean, I give a lot of credit to, to Derek cause he had a, a kind of like a very like overly ambitious spirit. Um, Derek? And yeah. Derek Perry. <laughs> I'm, saying that in like a, I'm saying that in like a, you don't say like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Uh, so, a, yeah. so he like, so we, we, we figured out how to do it and we, 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 we booked a show and it was very fun. And of course we had, we opened, uh, we booked ourselves to open and that was kind of like how we started to become friends with yeah. them. And, and like from that, like, you know Jordan Kleeman, who runs Sabbath Records, was their tour manager, like long, long time tour manager. Um, and he was like, "I'll put out your record, and then you guys will c come on this this big tour against me is doing in you know February of 2007." And it was like that was like you know at the time I was like, "Oh, we're we're gonna be famous. Like this is this is the." In, insanely like we're making it like and right. i mean in in a, in a way we we really were i mean that, that definitely like leveled us up in like a huge huge way totally yeah i, I mean i that's all those bands that they're i mean that's against me at their peak that's it was in it was I, I i i every i think every single show on the tour was sold out it was all kind of like you know, designed to, to sell out. Like it was kind of underplays in, in a mm -hmm. lot of places. And it was just like, it was, it was, they had announced they had signed, but it was before new wave had come out, but they had recorded it. So they were, it was just, I think that they went on to be a, a little bit bigger once new sure. wave came out, but it was like, it was, it, it was, was the height of their, of their like, uh, hype credit not i don't want to say yes yeah yeah, like a yeah, dig. yeah but you know what i'm but, saying but it's the right, height yeah, of like yeah. everybody was on board because obviously things got weird when they signed to a major and people had dumb feelings about it but like yeah that was like the height of everybody was on board right exactly uh, yeah what it was so cool to see and then so uh you and then you ended up signing to to side one originally and then you did that second record i remember you did that with aj mogus in a in Nebraska. And yes. then, you know, that for me as a, you know, a, a figure that is just on the sidelines, so proud of all you, I, I just couldn't believe it. I was like, they're recording at the studio that Bright Eyes records with, with I the know. guys that do the Bright Eyes records. Like, I was so thrilled for, for all of you. Do you have uh, any specific memories of, of doing that um, that felt 
I guess, different from other recording experiences that you had prior? I mean, that that was that was kind of the first to me that really felt like the first time we were in a like a real studio, like a a true like studio where everything worked and it was just so fancy and nice. Um, and there was like a, there was kind of like a guest house on the grounds that you, that you, that the band stays in. And it was just, it was such an incredible experience. Like, you know, it didn't happen by accident that we like, you know, recorded it at this place. Like we were like, what's our dream and it's it's to record at this place like it's to record where all of our favorite records have been made um and we got aj to record it which was really cool and he was really great uh yeah i just remember the feeling of of just i think we had never even been to omaha before so just driving in and seeing like a sign that says like What's it? It's just like home of the good life. Welcome to Omaha oh, yeah. or something like that. And yeah, just the, like, the, the state, uh, the state motto is the good life, I believe. So yeah, that was really great. And then, you know, just recording there and like, kind of like seeing people that we, that to us were like, it might as well have been the fucking Kardashians. Like, like w- seeing Mike Mogus walk by is just like, Oh my God. And like right. g- getting to talk to him for a second. And there, there's so many like, there's a few different stories of just like us being so fucking stupid and like humiliating ourselves, N- not not like catastrophically, but like internally. Like I remember, luckily I I, I don't have any personally, but I I remember that Sean was talking to Mike Mogus, and Sean told us this story later. But uh, Mike Mogus was talking about how he was going to malibu to record the monsters of folk record Mm. and he said yeah we're going to malibu to or i've been in malibu recording this record with you know jim james and connor overs and uh sean said wow hawaii that's awesome <laughs> and then and Sean didn't really realize it until later and then he's like, "Oh my god, I'm so fucking stupid." And then the other thing is I I never saw Connor Oberst when we were there, but I guess he kind of like walked through uh at one point. Yeah. Um I'm I was probably recording and everybody else was doing something else, but uh Derek wanted to go see MC uh MC Chris. Okay that was playing a a venue in Omaha like that night. And he was trying to like convince everybody to go. And then Connor Oberst walked through with like, like kind of like a, a a small entourage maybe. And, and Derek, I I don't even think Derek realized it was Connor Oberst, but he was just like, Hey, you guys want to go see MC Chris tonight? And, and and they were like, Oh no. And he's like, come on, MC, MC poop, pee pee pants from adult swim. Like, and just like, Kind of just saying, like you know, right? You know, the things you don't want to say to the the person that you would, at the time, like most want to to respect Acceptance you from. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> MC poo poo pants. Come on, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Oh no! Yeah. You know, it's funny when I'm looking at your discography, though. Like I, I, I guess in my again, some you know, going back to the to the follow the leader issues thing. I don't think I realized that Real Ghost Caught on Tape came out one year after It's Great to Be Alive. 
I guess so. Factual? Yeah. It's weird, 2000, right? So, well, so that's 2010. It's great to be alive. Came out February 2009, and then Real Ghost came out. I think in like September 2010. So okay, it's, so you know, almost two years. Yeah. Ish. Yeah. Got it. Um, I remember visiting you all in the studio when you were doing that. You did it with uh, that guy, Ted Hutt, who just, I, you know, doing a little research right here. I kind of knew who he was a little bit at that time because of you all kind of informing me. But because, you know, I think he had done stuff with like Gaslight Anthem or mm-hmm. Brian Fallon or, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And he just sort of seemed like he's the side one dummy hired gun. Is that a fair thing to say? Because just looking at his discography, so much of yes. his stuff is very in that world. S- certainly. Yeah, 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 yeah. So was that side one being like, hey, why don't you come to L.A. record it with this guy? Because he's seen a lot of success with our other acts. Sure. Yeah. I mean, yes, essentially. I mean, it was kind of like a, a dark winding road to getting to that point. Like we we had a bunch of demos that we wanted that we that were like this is the record and then side one dummy uh was like we don't think this is good basically and we think you should keep writing and so we were like okay and then we kept writing like we we canceled a tour so we could keep writing uh and then we were kind of like poking around and thinking about doing it again with like AJ Mogus or maybe even Mike Mogus and then you know, we sent them our next round of demos and they were cut side one again was kind of like, uh, okay, well, if this is what you want to do, how about you record with Ted Hutt? And by the way, your budget is now half of what we said it was going to be. <laughs> and we're like, okay. I mean, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't exactly okay, but we all eventually right. it was just like, all right, I guess this is kind of like what we're stuck doing. And we met up with Ted Hutt and we actually kind of got along. And what really endeared us to Ted Hutt is he liked the songs that we wrote in the first place, like the, the, uh, the initial batch of songs. And he kind of understood what we were trying to do better than side, than like the, the people that were in charge at right. side one at the time. Um, and we had a really good time making that record. And, and it was, it felt good to make that record. I was trying uh, to think ge- yeah. geography wise, where in LA was that studio? I can't remember for the life of me. It's actually really close to where I live now. It's, it was in Eagle Rock. Oh, was it? Yeah. Or it, it, it is in Eagle Rock. It's called King yeah. Size, I think. Okay. Yeah, I yeah. couldn't place it, but I do remember, and you're going to have to help me fill in the blank here. <laughs> what was the indie band that was recording right next door that was like a big band at that time? Was it, I want to say it was like Passion Pit. What band was it? Yes, Passion Pit. He stole my um, Red Bull Cola. <laughs> I had a Red Bull Cola. I had a Red Bull Cola in the fridge, and he this Passion Pit mother effer comes in there and drinks my freaking... Red Bull Cola. I remember that. That's the. It's funny. That's the story that I equate the the situation to. Is I remember. I remember that was the big to do of the day. Being like, this motherfucker drank <laughs> yeah. my goddamn soda. <laughs> I know. But I could. I was trying to think of what indie. I mean, I feel like Passion Pit is still is still popular. It's still popular. Probably, yeah. But yeah, I, I don't. I can't keep track of all that stuff. But I remember at the time they were they were starting out, and I was just like. 
It killed me. So yeah, and then uh, so fake problems comes to an end, and then I'm curious though, because I don't think we've ever talked about this. So your well, your first solo release post fake problems was mm-hmm. the Christmas record, right? That's right. Okay, so I'm curious for for you, what was what did was that like? maybe without realizing it at the time, or maybe you were realizing it at the time, was that like you kind of testing your water as... Oh, for sure. A can billion, I do a so- million percent, yeah. Yeah, walk me through what that what that was like, like uh, making that transition. Yeah, so basically the, the quick version of Fake Problems kind of breaking up uh, was we made another record. Uh, so we put out Real Ghosts. It was... You know, it went fine. It didn't like do very well or very bad. It just was fine, and it kind of like served our fan base, and we played, you know, okay shows and did I a love lot that. of. It's my favorite uh, record that you guys did. It's oh, I, for, I, mine I, too, for sure. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. Um, and we did a lot of touring, and then we started to make another record, and it was kind of, uh, kind of the same situation again with side one, and then we we were like, okay, we're just going to leave side one. And we, we left side one and we were just going to make another record and then sell it after the fact, like to a record label. And we basically, you know, met up with Ted Hutt again and tried to make a record and we made a record and just didn't like it. Mm. (laughs) We just did not like the record. And then I think just the amount of effort it took to kind of get to that point and like just the thought of like what do we even do now like was just such an exhausting thought that we kind of just like stopped engaging in the band really <laughs> you know uh and it was and and Casey had had left the band too which which kind of really hurt our feeling of like you know this is like a permanent thing that we're doing like you know like it kind of like shattered us in a way that we never really recovered from um so you know with the prospect of like not having like a band or or like not at least not having like a, a shows or a tour or anything coming up i started talking with jeff rosenstock and you know long story short we we made a a a record together and it kind of like reinvigorated my like love of making music and and i did it with him and in new york and he the way he recorded at the time and kind of still does is was just like you know on his computer in a room like not a big room just you know and then just making it sound really well somehow and i was just like oh you can just do this and i was really inspired by that and then I was kind of like thinking of the prospect of, of touring. And I was like, if I'm going to tour, I need to have stuff like under my own name to tour with. Uh, and so, but I was, you know, I was, I think you're right. I was definitely like nervous to put myself out there. And I, I definitely was looking for ways to kind of test the waters. Right. Right. But so it was just kind of something that I could throw myself into and I needed, I wanted to learn how to, uh, to do what Jeff was doing, like just record myself and like, and I was like, the only way I can learn how to do this is if I just 
make something that I know is going to be released. Like I can't just fuck around and be like, Oh, that's how you do that. Oh, like I don't work like that. Like it's the same thing. Like right now I'm making a music video for some, uh, this band hurry. Um, and I don't, I don't, I've never made a music video before. I've, I downloaded premiere to make the music video, but like, like I wouldn't know, I wouldn't be able to figure this stuff out unless I w- was doing this, you know, like I wouldn't be like, Oh, I'll, I'll, I can kind of like figure uh, it out, you know, just to kind of dabble and like fuck around. But like, if it's like a project you're working on, you, and you have to figure it out. Like that's to, to me, that's always been the best way to learn. Um, right. To have kind of a fire under your ass or to have other people expecting something of you. It forces you to get over yourself and right. And get the job done. I understand yeah. that. Because, yeah, yeah, I saw that the, the same year that you did, um, like, A Gift from God or whatever, you was the same year that you, the first uh, Antarctica Vespucci release right. was. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and, and just with you, because I, I had read that you met Jeff around the time that Fake Problems was ending and then Bomb the Music Industry was ending. And you sort of, I'm assuming you sort of just bonded on, like, totally i mean we we yeah. had we had met before we had done like a like a weekend of shows with bomb the music industry but we and we we would see like fake problems would see jeff when we came through new york but we were never like close we were just like buddies you know but but we just started bonding out of out of that out of uh, our band's kind of uh, you know our world's like like everything we had known for the past, you know, 10 years or whatever, kind of coming to an end. And I think that really tied us together. And we had a lot of just a lot in common. And it was for both of us. I think it was just like a thing of like, Oh, like, Oh, music can be fun to make. Like it doesn't have to be like, you know, this dark cloud. Right. 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 Um, And then you, so then you ended up coming back to side one which I, I think you and I had had conversations in the past about like that transition being a little, a little interesting considering your, the past with, with fake problems. But um, was it, I, I think if I remember it was like, maybe there was some new staff. Cause obviously, you know, like I, I believe Jamie was working there at the time. Um, yeah. I mean, it was totally like, you know, we started to see side one doing really interesting things and like working with, bands that were really cool and we're like yeah. this is not like side one at all what's happening over here right, uh right, and right. and it was because of the new staff there was you know jamie and uh, christina johns uh who were kind of like just uh, you know bringing bringing a a, a a very cool sensibility into the label and kind of had, had kind of taken the reins and the, the, uh, a few of the other people who in the past had, had kind of steered the ship were kind of like taking a back seat and just letting it happen. And that just seemed exciting to us and, or to me. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. And I, I was lucky enough to kind of get involved again and, and I had a good time working with them on my first or my first non-christmas record <laughs> uh, <laughs> can't die right can't die yeah yeah and that was a pretty good experience and that that was kind of when i started like really touring under my own name and and i started 
playing to tracks and like figuring out like how to make a live show um, with one person kind of visually and and uh, sonically exciting, I guess. Was that hard for you to get used to because you've been in bands your entire life to like have the focus all just be on on simply you or what do you think? Uh, yeah, it, it was hard to get used to. And I think that is kind of like putting myself in that position and feeling uncomfortable doing it, like starting just playing acoustic uh, and just you know, trying to figure out how to make an acoustic show engaging and then starting to feel like I don't want, I did like, I don't want to be acoustic and, and kind of figuring out how to expand from that while still like operating within my means, really. Like, you know, I didn't have any money to do anything really. So first just trying to figure out how to make more sound and then that's when I figured out like all the tracks playing to tracks and stuff. And then I remember seeing myself, I saw like a video of me playing, but uh, like I didn't have the sound on and I was like, well, it just looks like I'm acoustic. Like there's like nothing to look at. And then I, that's when I started experimenting with kind of like lights and um, bringing projectors on tour. Right. Yeah. And I think you've done a wonderful job at it. Like you're, um, whether it's between the, your recordings, your live shows or your music videos or whatever, like y- you have a natural way to, uh, bring people in or to, you know, keep people around or to, you know, keep interest going because, you know, I think not only is the music good, but you're also such a likable person that, uh, you know, you, you're always just, people are always going to be paying attention. And that's one of those things that I've always uh, enjoyed and admired watching your career uh from the beginning till now thank you thank you yeah I, uh, that's a, a very nice thing to say appreciate it i wrap up uh, every episode with this question and i'm actually very very curious uh more you know maybe more so than than some of than ever with you which is um when was the first time you you felt like you were doing the thing that you had been working so hard towards oh January 2020. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Truly, yeah. Um ah. well, I, I there there's been times there was definitely times with with Antarctica Vespucci where we played some show like headline shows that were so incredible and so you know for me like just really like big shows, like sold out shows and stuff like that that was a great experience for me. Um but there's all there's always something with Antarctica Vespucci that I'm I I'm like this isn't totally my thing you know like yeah. it's it's our thing it's like Jeff and I's thing and I feel so a lot of pride in that so much fun to do that but like when I have in January when I started to f- kind of start my headline tour Chris Farron headline tour and those yeah. shows were going a lot better than I expected them to. Uh, there's just some, there's just something so gratifying about that. Like, especially because I'm like, I have so much self doubt when I'm making these, my records alone. And I'm so like fearful. And I, I like, you know, I, I have, I have people to bounce ideas off of, you know, at, at, at certain points, but like, I spend so much time alone and I spend so much time just doubting what I'm doing. And it's, it's, it takes a lot of, uh, meditation and, and just mental work to, to just keep me, uh, 
productive when I'm making records alone. Anyway, or or or, or just kind of operating as a artist alone. Like you, when when you're in a band or when you have a partner, it's it's. I don't want to say it's easier, but it's just a, it's a whole different thing, and it's it, it, you kind of have somebody to share that experience with, and it's it's just uh, it's just kind of a weird thing when you're alone. That makes perfect perfect sense to me. I completely understand what you're saying. Yeah. So when when the solo shows started doing good, and when there was a few like uh, sold out ones on that tour, it was just it just felt so great. It was it was like oh wow, and like. People are responding to the new record and just really liking it. And it was, it was just so cool. Like I was like, uh, it was exactly what you said. It was just kind of like, this is, this is exactly what I've been working for. Oh, I love that, Chris. Because yeah, I remember the LA show was sold out. Um, yes. Yeah. So I, I, yeah, I, I can imagine that, that, uh, that entire experience was, was, uh, very gratifying. I remember just the ad campaigns for for Born Hot were pretty brilliant. There was the billboard. Did you see the billboard? Were you in town I any did. of that time? Hell yeah! I, I drove by. I, I remember seeing it on on the internet um, when I was away, and then driving by it and just laughing so hard to myself, being like, "I love, I love this man." It was so. It had Hell a phone. Yeah. It, it had a. I remember it had. It was a billboard for the for the record Born Hot, and I had a to- I had a line to call, and That's if right. you called the line, it it was you talking, but it, at the same time, it's like it was like playing the music from the record, right, to kind of promote it. Was that the idea? It was. Uh, you could. You, there was a bunch of different options, and one of them was like press this to hear a new song, and it was like you know a very shitty tinny version of the song through <laughs> through the speakers right i think that i that i made sound even shittier than it like would have otherwise <laughs> like I, I i like put it in in my computer first and like like put it through a phone filter and then put it in, in there uh and yeah there was just like a lot of things it was brilliant marketing it, it truly was I, I uh I, i'll always appreciate that um, and I'll always appreciate you, Chris. So thank thank you so much for coming on the show and talking to me. I, I could talk to you for hours. Thank you for having me. What a pleasure. So you have yourself a good day. Okay, Chris? You too, Jeremy. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe or follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you choose to listen. And if you can spare a moment to give us a rating and review on Apple, it helps the show gain more visibility and that can make all the difference. Thank you, and I'll see you again next week. Yes.